I'm calling this the makings of a church, small c. I've always been proud of the depth of teachings offered at TRP. Over the course of our relatively brief existence as a church, we have tackled some of the really weighty texts in our faith tradition. Early on, we looked at Colossians, then we looked at Isaiah 40 through 55, which was a really important text for us in the midst of tragedy within our community. We've looked at Timothy and Jonah and Mark and Exodus, and most recently, we've looked at the book of Ruth. Each week, we address our bold and honest questions while never settling for a surface reading or for cheap and easy answers. Like many of those who have gone before us, we have chosen instead to prayerfully and intentionally wrestle with the text in our search for meaning and application. We regularly include diverse scholarly voices in this process, so much so that regular attenders might recognize the names N.T. Wright or Walter Brueggemann or Catherine Dube Sockenfeld. Whew. Not only do you indulge me in the regular routine of setting the background of a biblical text, you have probably come to expect a mini lecture on its ancient Near Eastern or its first century Jewish context before we begin the hard work of applying our weekly text to our 21st century postmodern American context. Over the years, you guys have heard your fair share of Greek and Hebrew words, and you aren't too weirded out when their foreign characters appear on the screen. Some of you even know what inaugurated eschatology means. And for the rest of you, if you stick around, you're going to know what inaugurated eschatology means and why it's so important. As a result of our consistent engagement with the text, I think we have entertained and maybe have even adopted some what I call better readings of the Bible, despite the difficulties they sometimes pose for our long-held beliefs. Ultimately, I believe that we have grown together. And if we pause for a moment to think about the journey that we have been on individually and communally, we would probably have to admit that we are in a different place now than we were when we first began. From an intellectual standpoint, I'm really proud to be a part of this community. And as one of your pastors, I'm grateful. I mean, seriously, it's pretty weird for a church on the Eastern Shore to have people come out for a two-hour lecture on the New Testament's use of the Old Testament or Old Testament source criticism or even for the calling and ordination of women in ministry. You guys are not afraid to be challenged by new information. You aren't afraid to admit your doubts or to raise your questions. You are open to new theological ideas, and perhaps most difficult of all, you are learning how to respect one another in the midst of our diverse readings and opinions. I believe this is because you understand the unity we have in Jesus through our shared belief in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins and toward the restoration of the whole world. And you guys are attempting to live this unity out for everyone to see. Tonight's talk is going to be different. I sat in my office this week staring at a blank screen for many, many hours, thinking and reading and praying slash begging for a sermon to show up. But I have to tell you that tonight I have no fancy words. I have no Greek and Hebrew. I have no ancient Near Eastern context. Instead of forcing something, my friends encouraged me to celebrate some of the beauty that we have noticed and experienced of late in the community of TRP. They also noted that it didn't necessarily have to be one of my typical 40-minute-long sermons, so I'm going to try to keep things brief tonight, although 
I've read over this a few times. It's really not too brief, so just <laughs> sit tight, but don't let the heat envelop you too much, okay? The phrase that Tessa and I have used this week to describe what we think is going on is it seems like we as a church are turning a corner. I have always thought of TRP as a highly relational church, but for whatever reason, the last couple of years have been filled with slow growth, failed events, at least from the standpoint of new people attending, and missed connections. A few months ago, Doug and Sarah and Susie and I had a meeting to plan our events for the summer, and I can honestly say it was one of the worst meetings I've ever been in in my entire life. Sarah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> one of the reasons I think it was so bad, as I reflect in, in hindsight, was probably my own hesitancy to plan stuff that I was scared no one would want to come to. And while it is true, we've tried a few things this summer that haven't really gone over too well. I think that there are other things that have played a really important role in our recent relational growth as a church. For example, as Tessa mentioned, we started a co-ed non-competitive kickball team that plays in the county league. She kind of upsold us a bit here. We are not the best team by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, we are riding currently a two-game losing streak heading into the playoffs. Two terrible losses, Ryan Boyce. They're terrible losses. And it's also been a nightmare because you only get to play eight people in the field. And some weeks we have 16 to 18 people showing up. And Coach Josh Hill deserves a tip of the cap for getting people into the game. But really, it's been, it's been something. But as I stand on the sidelines with the scorebook in hand, it's my job to keep the scores and to make sure people's batting averages or kicking averages are, are correct. As I stand there with my scorebook in hand, sometimes yelling at the volunteer umpires for a bad call, or yelling at an antagonistic members of teams with names like Booze on First, or some middle school-inspired play on the word Balls. <laughs> I don't know if these walls have ever heard that before. But I've seen this group of people that didn't really spend a lot of time together, slowly becoming friends. I've also seen Meredith and her family and Tessa and Nadia and Sarah and the McKinneys come out to a lot of games to support the team. Playing a kid's game or going to watch grown adults play a kid's game is quite a small thing, but it's an important step for us becoming a family. Susie has also started a small group for the women of the church called Bread and Wine. These women of various ages and stations in life come together twice a month to share a meal and drink wine. They also share stories around a massive makeshift table that takes up Susie's entire family room. And in the process, names have been learned. New people have felt included, maybe for the first time. And friendships have been born. I've heard so many testimonies of how important this group has become. And it's not because they're sitting around the table learning the deep theological truths of the Christian faith, though I do know that they teach each other. It's because the metaphor of the table that we so often use here and including diverse company in one's home is being lived out regularly. It's bread and wine and a bunch of women telling each other that they love them. And as such, it's a glimpse of the gospel. It's a glimpse of people being welcomed in and nourished and encouraged and strengthened. 
We also had our second annual movie night, outdoor movie night this past week. And last year, we had a lot of fun when we were doing it. Uh, we meet at Mitch and Joni's house. They host the event. Their house is awesome. Their backyard is, is massive, so the kids run around. And last year, the McKinney boys had brought out a wiffle ball and a bat, and they were throwing it around. They were playing wiffle ball with Luke and Nathan Engel. And Christy wheeled out her popcorn machine. And anytime Christy's in charge of making food, even if it's popcorn, it's going to be really really good. I think Sarah last year brought a bunch of candy and we watched The Sandlot, which I will argue solely based on my own nostalgia is one of the greatest movies of all time. And last year we had a really great time, but the movie night this last uh, year, it sort of embodies the slow growth I was talking about earlier. It ended up just being the same 15 or 17 or 20 of us that usually go to all of the events that we host. But this year was different. Christy still wheeled in her popcorn machine. Sarah this time brought a bunch of adult beverages in a cooler, which <laughs> spiced things up and tells you Sarah's growth over the last year. <laughs> the McKinney kids still played a bunch of wiffle ball, but it was, it was noticeably different. Around the time we were set to start the movie, which was Remember the Titans, classic movie, people just kept showing up with their chairs and their candy and their kids. Now, I wanna make this really clear. It's not about numbers. We don't care about numbers for the sake of numbers. Now, we do want to grow, and we believe that we can grow, and we believe there's people within Salisbury that have not been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ yet, and we want to reach them. But nothing that we do is about numbers alone. But what was different about this night, not just more people showed up, it seemed like these people actually cared about one another. It wasn't just a group of random strangers sitting in somebody's backyard to collectively swoon over how good-looking Ryan Gosling is. Too much? No? Weird? Okay. I mean, it's a true statement. It was a family that was gathering. And as some of us who attended both last year and this year, as we sat back and reflected on the success of the night, we thought that Tuesday may have proved that our circle was widening and that family was being built. Finally, many of you know Meredith. She's been coming to TRP since January, and if you have had the privilege of getting to know her, you know that she could aptly be described as a mover and a shaker. Recently, one of the things that she's been involved in is uh, a songwriters round in Salisbury to highlight local singers and songwriters, uh, which she's been doing with Scott Malone, and they had their first event on Friday night. It was featuring Meredith and Tessa and one of the worship leaders down the street at Community of Joy named Joy. Over half the crowd, though, that night was from TRP, many of whom shared a table after the show to eat and to talk and to laugh together. And again, as a pastor, it felt like what we were doing was beginning to work. It seemed like we were turning a corner. One of the main themes in the book of Ruth is inclusion. As we've talked about over the last eight weeks, it's a story of grief and commitment and faithfulness. One of the cool things about podcasts is we can edit out that, that weird silence there. So if you're a podcaster, you don't even know what happened. <laughs> Ruth is a story of grief and commitment and faithfulness, but it's also a story of a foreigner, a Moabite woman who was brought into the family. Interestingly, and we didn't really pursue this too much, but we could have, there are other biblical stories where inclusion is not allowed. 
where Moabites in particular are not granted access to worship with the Israelites as in Deuteronomy, or where marriages with Moabites are dissolved in the name of law-keeping as in Ezra and Nehemiah. But Ruth, along with other passages, provides a counter-testimony to such texts. For example, the post-exilic text of Isaiah 56 boldly claims this. Now hear me on it. Isaiah 56, this is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. Man, that could be a two-hour lecture right there. There's some really cool stuff going on with this passage. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Just think about that for a second. God is addressing the eunuchs in the time that were not allowed into the temple to worship, that were not able to procreate for obvious reasons. And what God is saying is, I will give you a name that will last forever, better than sons and daughters. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. My house will be known as a house of prayer for all people, the prophet says in the book of Isaiah. Despite the tension that we see throughout the Old Testament, whether we've got Ruth who's accepting the Moabites or Deuteronomy and Ezra and Nehemiah that are not, Jesus' ministry provides important images of inclusion. Whether that's the women that he includes in his ministry, and I can't stress to you how weird this was in the first century Jewish context for women to be sitting at Jesus' feet while he's teaching. Remember that story about Mary and Martha? Martha's in the back and she's like sweeping up and she's cooking food and Mary's out sitting by Jesus' feet and Martha's so ticked because she's doing all the work and we think like, ooh, Martha's a busybody and Mary's not doing anything. She's super lazy. But what's happening here is Mary's in a space where she should not have been in this context and Jesus is totally cool with it. He is breaking down social barriers to allow people that aren't supposed to be with him to be with him. We also have the example of the unwelcomed people that he sits with for a meal or the foreigners that he heals. Jesus even quotes this passage from Isaiah 56, my house will be a house of prayer for all people when he goes in at the end of his ministry and cleanses the temple. And we think that Jesus is just really mad at those legalistic Pharisees for making money in the temple. But what he's really saying is you have left people out of this story. This is the restorative work that God is about to bring a diverse people together so that they can experience forgiveness and restoration and not only experience it, but to participate 
in the work that God is about here and now in this church, in this space. It is not just about experience and it is about participating. The God of the entire universe restoring the world around us. Now, the application of this could be massive. We celebrate the people, for example, that have taken time out of their schedule and have gone down the street to the Camden Community Garden Monday through Friday to hang out with these kids and to serve them lunch and to get to know them and to minister to them wherever they are. We can celebrate these people for the work that they are doing, not necessarily in handing out tracts, but being present in the lives of these kids pictures that they will never forget of their upbringing. We celebrate our young life leaders who take away from their time. And yes, you guys go to some really cool places, okay? So it's not like you're sacrificing a whole lot, but the work that you do while you're there is the work of the gospel because you have people from all walks of life, some of which have never heard the gospel, that are in your care for seven days, asking questions and wanting to be around you. And we celebrate the fact that you have led them well. We celebrate Cassidy moving to York, Pennsylvania. We grieve that she is going, but we celebrate the fact that she is following the call that God has placed on her life to say no to money elsewhere, to live on a dime and to hang out with kids and minister to them. We celebrate Hannah chasing her dreams, knowing that God will be with her. This, this working out, it looks so different in so many ways, and we celebrate the folks in our community who are committed to global missions, and we are excited to partner with them in the future. Now, what I'm gonna suggest to us, this whole idea of my house uh, will be a house of prayer for all people, the immediate tie for this, this example that Jesus provides us and that we hear in Isaiah, it fits in with some of the celebrations of this past week. Our relational ministry as a church should embody the inclusion of God. Our circle should be ever widening because there are people who need to hear the gospel and need to see it lived out by us. I believe that we are turning a corner as a church. And my hope is that we continue to reach out to those who are unchurched, to those who long for the depth that we offer, to those who have big questions and need to feel safe to ask them and to pursue them, to those who are broken and hurting from past church experiences, and to those who are only now beginning to trust God and the church and us again. Tessa and I have been brainstorming t-shirts because we like cool things. And we have yet to have a t-shirt other than the kickball shirts. I still have them in my trunk. They're on sale, $5. I might even give it to you for $7.50 if you want. But Tess and I have been brainstorming t-shirts for the fall. And we used to have this logo. It was a flame. And underneath of it said, people of TRP. And we really wanted folks to like call a number and text us their story or whatever. And nobody ever did that. I don't, it didn't work. But this past week, we thought it would be cool to have that little fire and the people of TRP, but on the back, we would write something that we say at the end of our podcast. Basically, Tessa's on there, and she's talking, and she says, please join us, and she tags it with, whatever your story is, there is room for you here. As we think about including the other, as we consider the example of Ruth and Isaiah and Jesus, it's my hope that we could wear such a shirt with pride, 
knowing the truth of that deep statement that whatever your story is, you are welcome here. There is room for you here at this table with these people. And beyond that, there is room for you here to experience the grace and mercy of Jesus, who regardless of your past, regardless of your failures, regardless of your insecurity, still calls out to you saying, follow me. TRP, we might very well be turning a corner, but what I would like to encourage you in this is with these words, continue the work. Let's expand our tables. Let's invite those on the margins to feast with us and let's live lives of transformation for the world to see. Thanks again for joining us. If you live in the Salisbury area, we invite you to visit us for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story is, there's room for you here. And again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at restoresby.org. Hope to see you soon.